Romans together. And uh, we're, we're just going to continue on. We've been walking through Romans for quite some time now. I don't even know how long Christ Church has been walking through Romans. Uh, it was before we even started coming here. So um, a long time. It's been a, it's been a good it's going to be a good series. It's been a good time just to see the progression of how Paul teaches uh, the doctrines. And as, as we come to these sections that we've come into today and for the next few weeks, we come to sections that are a lot of application, a lot of stuff about the Christian life, about how the Christian life should live. And, and, and the danger of it is, is that if someone were to hear this message today and, and they, they, this is their first time here, or if they want to pick up a recording uh, some other time from now, the danger is, is that I don't want to happen is for someone to pick up uh, this passage on how a Christian should live and, and listen to it and say, oh, this is, this is the picture of what a Christian life should look like. So if, if I want to be a Christian, I just need to do these things. If, if I want to be right with God, if I want to do the things to make God love me, then I need to do the things that the Christian life has in it. And so as we approach this, this section, as we approach all these sections that have to do with applications and, and how the Christian life looks, we, we have to remember them in context of, of Romans 1 through 11. All of the context and the foundation of what the gospel really is. If you try to do, to do good works, to have a right standing with God, that's not the gospel. The gospel is what we've been talking about, and the gospel is how we're able to do application-wise, how we're able to obey God, is because we look back at what Paul's already taught us. He's already taught us that, that we're sinners, that, that we need a Savior. And because, because we're sinners, we, we deserve death. We deserve to be punished for the sins that we've, we've knowingly committed, that we've, we've desired to commit these sins. And so we deserve death for that. And we've been united with, with Adam. We were united with Adam in sin. But knowing that God sent Jesus, and Jesus lived a, a life that was pleasing to God. He lived a righteous life, a holy life, a life that we could never live. And then he died on the cross, taking our place. The, the, the death that, that I deserve, that we all deserve as, as sinners, Jesus took that so, so we could have forgiveness in him. And so we, we need to not lose sight of all that foundation as we approach uh, how we live the Christian life. You know, last week, we got to see how, how Jared shows how, how a Christian should view God. How does the relationship between, between God and, and Christians look? And it was just very simple. We're, we're supposed to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. We're supposed to literally die to ourselves. And so we, we, can't, we can't do that if we're constantly trying to be the person that the world is telling us to be. If we listen to the world and the world says, you need to do this, you need to be this, you need to look like this, if we try to follow the world, we'll never be able to actually die to ourselves. We'll never be able to be a living sacrifice. And so the way we're able to be a living sacrifice is for us to be constantly renewing our minds, renewing our minds in the Word, renewing our minds in what God is telling us to be, who is, who is God telling us how we're supposed to live our lives, and, and submitting all, every aspect of our life over to Him, continually evaluating what, what part of my life am I still holding on to? What part of my life am I, am I saying... Not, not yet, God. This, this little section right here, I'm going to hold on to this for a little longer. Giving those sections over him, giving aspects of our lives over to him. So as we move forward into today's text, we, we have to remember those two things. Remember the, the foundational doctrine of the gospel. How, how in the gospel it births obedience to God. And how, how our, our, the things that we do is pleasing to God because we are a new creation. Because God has has changed our hearts. 
and we move forward with knowing that uh, how we relate to God is that we are a living sacrifice. We submit ourselves to God, and that we're constantly renewing our minds. Before I read this passage, uh, would you go ahead and pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word will run supreme today. Lord, any, any, anything that comes out of my mouth, Lord, I pray that it is pleasing to you. I pray, that, I pray for all of our hearts. Lord, no matter what struggle we're going through, no matter where we are, we were, however we find ourselves right now, Lord, I pray that you have your way in this place. I pray you break down walls, break down barriers. Lord, I pray you reveal sin in our hearts so that sin can be dealt with. Lord, I pray that you are glorified today. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, we want to continue and shout your name. We want your name to be praised in all the land. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's go ahead, if you would, read with me. We're going to be in Romans 12, starting in verse 3, and we're going to read all the way through verse 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So it's interesting that Paul starts this section, uh, uh, starts a section on how we're supposed to, to do life with one another, how we're supposed to relate to one another. The first thing he starts with is how we relate to ourselves. The first thing he tells us is, is that we need to honestly evaluate ourselves. See, there's a temptation in all of us, and apparently it was a temptation for the, the Christians at, at those times too, and probably for all of humanity, there is a temptation for us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. I think it's a struggle we all have. And we have to look at this. This is not a struggle. This is not a temptation just for someone who's not a Christian. Paul here, he's, he's talking to Christians. He's talking for those that are believers. And so we know that even the temptation to think more highly of yourself than what, than what you should is a, is a thing that all Christians struggle with. All of us are going to struggle at times with not having an honest evaluation of ourselves, placing ourselves as higher than we should. And so we know it's something that we're going to struggle with. I think we all know what, what Paul's talking about here. It's probably safe to say you, you, you know what those characteristics are. You know what it's like to be around someone who, who thinks too high of themselves. Someone who, who when you're around, a, you know, if you're a coach, it's the, the kid who's not coachable. You can't, you can't coach him anything. You can't tell him to do anything because he already knows it all. You can't, you can't make this kid any better. He's, he's, he's not coachable. If you've been around someone and, and they're, they're, they're talking and they don't receive instruction because they think, that they're, they think that they've arrived, we can all start to have false confidences about ourselves. Maybe we take, take things that we have and we blow them out of proportion and we, we think too highly of ourselves. Unfortunately, in, in my past, this has been a big struggle for me. 
I remember one time I was about 15, and I kind of thought I was a ladies' man, even though it never really happened that way. But I had a couple of girls that uh, had made out that they, they, they were liking me, and I was thinking, okay, so I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but we went to the skating rink one time. Um, people go to skating rinks anymore, is that still a thing? Okay, good, good deal. So I go to my, I, I don't know why, but I went with my cousin. I couldn't drive yet, so we're, we're going to the skating rink. And I knew that these girls that liked me, they liked to go to the skating rink too. No. So we're, we're, we're heading to the skating rink, and, and I just need to tell my cousin, that, you know, pretty seriously that, hey, when we get there, if I don't talk to you, I mean, I got these girls that like me there. And, and I don't know how nicely I said it, or probably rudely I said it, but I was basically trying to let them know that, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to be your friend or your cousin at the skating rink because there's going to be girls there that like me, and, well, I'm probably going to pile around with them and not you. And so I just, I, I thought of myself in this certain way, and it was higher than what it should have been thought of. It was in no way in line with, with the reality of who I was. Now, the end of that story is those girls weren't even there, and I had no one to talk to the whole time. But... Uh, <laughs> That's what happens when you think too highly of yourselves. But unfortunately, this happens in the church. Unfortunately, we can think too highly of ourselves in the church. And I, and I have to be clear here, I, just there's a stigma with those who believe in Reformed theology. There is a, there is a precedent set that, that we have oftentimes thought too highly of ourselves, that, that we have the right doctrine. We, we have these convictions that are the right way, and, and, and they don't. And so we have, to be, we have to be careful of how we're approaching things. We have to be careful that, that we don't think too high of ourselves because of a certain doctrine we hold, we have to, or that our, our, our church numbers are a certain way, that we have successful programs that are doing this and that. We, we don't think too highly of ourselves just because of things that God has given us. Or we look at the gifts God's given us, the talents he's given us. We see the, the, the ways, the, the qualities that we have, the things that we have, and, and we see them even though they're gifts from God, and we look at them and say they're ours, and we, and we try to lift ourselves up and place ourselves on a pedestal because, well, I am this way. Well, well I, am, I am the teacher. I am the leader. You're not. So we, can, we, have, a, we have a tendency in our lives to, to think more highly of ourselves than we should. So Paul says, don't do this. He says, don't think too highly of yourselves. So how does he tell us to think? He says, to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So how should we think? We should think with sober judgment. If you're rightly thinking, if you're, if you're soberly judging yourself and honestly evaluating who you are, and you look at all of, all of yourself, all of your qualities, all of your talents, all of your gifts, you see that all of that you have is a gift that's been given to you by the grace of a good, loving God. We, we, all of who we are, all the things that we, we have maintained, and all the things that are within us are, are gifts from God. We didn't, we didn't earn them. We didn't, I didn't ask to be able to, to do this or do that. God has gifted me with the abilities to do those things. And so we don't, I don't want to lift myself. We don't want to lift up ourselves. We want to lift up God. We want Him to be the focus of everything. Our value should not point to ourselves, but our value should point to God. When we don't 
think highly of ourselves, when we think of ourselves rightly, then the focus goes to God and not on ourselves. So how do we think with sober judgment? Maybe that's the, the better question here. We know we're, we're supposed to, to view ourselves with sober judgment, but how do, we, how do we do that? It says, with the faith that has been given to us, we need, we need faith in our lives to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. We need the gift of faith to exercise the gift that God has given us. We, we need God to gift us with faith. We need faith in our lives to exercise these gifts. We need faith to rightly think about who we are, to, to think soberly, to have sober judgment. We need faith to do that. When we see God as the giver of, of all gifts, the giver of the faith that is needed, we see that we're totally dependent upon God. God has given us these gifts. God has, has made us who we are. And then God has also given us the faith that we need to, to act on these gifts, to see rightly. So we are totally dependent upon God. This should erase any pride or arrogance that we may have. And this should replace all of that with humility. Our lives should be marked by humility if we're, if we're rightly thinking about ourselves, if we're rightly looking at ourselves, or rightly viewing who we are compared to God, then we, we, have a, a, we have a humble attitude. And I love that if we look back at how Paul starts this passage, that he practices what he preaches here. He starts for, for the, by the grace given to me, I say. Paul knows that be, who he is, where he's come from, who he is today, the reason why he can teach, the reason why he can tell people how to, to live their lives, all is because of what God's done in his life. He knows exactly who he is. He knows all the sins he's committed. He knows all of the wrongs that have gotten him to that point. But he knows that God stepped in and saved him. And he knows that that is a gift. And he knows that it's only because of that gift of grace that he has the ability to tell someone, you need to do this. And so it's in love. It's in love that he does this. So I love that even in this passage, we get to see Paul working out his own theology. He's doing exactly what he's teaching others to do. So we want to have a right view of ourselves. And then to move on to verse 4, see that Paul tells us then, if you have a right view of yourself, if you're thinking rightly, you're thinking soberly about this, then we can, we can move on to how we start to relate to one another. And he begins to teach about the church. But what's interesting is he doesn't ever say the church. Paul uses an analogy. He uses, uh, talks, about, talks about the body as an analogy. And Paul here, he's talking about the church universal. If you don't have a church background or uh, you, some of these terms may, may not uh, be familiar to you, but as Paul's talking about the church, he's talking about a body of believers. He's not saying uh, just, just you, Church of Rome. He's talking about all Christians, all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus, all of them together, all of us together, no matter what denomination, no matter anything about us, all, anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus, who's repented of their sins, all of us belong to the church. All of us belong to the body. And so that is the body that Paul is pointing us to right here. And as he, as he talks about this body, right away we see that there's only one body. There can only be one body because there can only be one head. There's only one Jesus, so there can only be one body. But everyone that's a believer belongs to the church, belongs to this body. And it doesn't, doesn't matter denominations. It just 
This is, this is a unifying thing. This is not a thing for, for denominations to, say, to state claim and say, no, 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 we, we're the body. We are it. We're the only ones. No. Other, other churches that may gather together and preach the same gospel but may have a few different convictions on, on a few things, they are a part of the church. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need, to, we need to look at that with unity and not in disunity. We see that there's also no hierarchy of Christians here. We talk about the body and we talk about that there's, there's, one, there's one body. We see that there's not a hierarchy for, well, if you're a, if you're a more mature Christian, then, then, you are, then, you, then we lift you up. Or if, you, if, you're, if you're this way, then if you've done these things, then then you, you're a special part of the body. All, they're all parts of the body, and they're all equally important, and they're all needed. So if you... But as I say this, I have to mention, if you, if you don't belong to Jesus, then you're not a part of the body. So if you're here today, and I don't know where each and every person here is, is that as we're talking about the body, and we're talking about gifts that, are, that God has given to his believers, those that have called upon his name, that's only if you're a Christian. So if you're here today and you're, and you're not yet a Christian, then all the stuff we're going to talk about, being a part of the body and, and receiving gifts, and all that is, is stuff that's not going to apply to you. But it can. The invitation is here today. The invitation is, is at all time... God is, is, is welcoming people into the body. And so I, w- I want to even now say that if you're not a Christian, as we talk about these things, as we talk about these, this body, and, and I, I hope that as the word comes out, we hope that we see this as a glorious thing, a wonderful thing to be part of, of the body of Christ, that this is something that is appealing and something that, that we want to be a part of. So if you're not a Christian, if, if you... If you see that you've sinned against God and repent of your sins and trust in the finished work of Christ, then you, can, you would join this body. You would join us. You'd become our brother and sister. So Paul uses this illustration of the body multiple times in the New Testament. It's, it's a simple analogy, but at the same time, it's so deep. Yesterday, we, we, had, we went to a swim meet. That was always fun. But the human body is amazing. I, it just is. We I'm not like in the science or medical field at all. My, my wife is, so I just let her handle all that. But the body can do amazing things. And it works. When, it, when things work together, it's, it's beautiful. And I watch these kids swim, and their arms move and legs. They move in, in these crazy ways to just kind of glide through the water. And like, I just sink. But, you know, our bodies are amazing. God has made our bodies to be complex all of these members of the body, they, they work together. and they, they do their own individual functions. They do the things that they're supposed to do individually. And then the body moves and, and accomplishes one, one mission. It, it's just an amazing thing to see how, how God has made our body to work. And so for Paul to, to see that and to pick that out and to say, because we all know what that's like. We all know what the body is. And for him to put that on display and say, this is the church. This is how the church should be each individual member doing its function, and it's not the same function. Other, other parts of Scripture are clear on this. You know, the, if, 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 you were, if the hand was to try to do the function of the foot, things would go out of whack. 
You know, if your eye just all of a sudden said, I don't want to, I don't want to see anymore. I want to smell. Well, that'd be weird. Things are going to break down. Things are going to stop working correctly. The members of the body do the function that they were meant to do. In the church, it's the same way. In God's glorious wisdom, he has designed the church to be unified, but made up of people that are diverse, made up of people who have unique gifts. God has given us all different gifts. Now, there's something subtle in that aspect, right? If we say that God has given us all gifts, the, the, the read between the lines of that is, is that God has given us all gifts. If you are a believer in Christ, if you, if you have repented and placed your faith in Jesus, then you've, you've received a gift from God. You've received a spiritual gift that is going to be used in his name. It's going to be used to serve the church. It's going to be used to serve others. It's going to be used to call glory to him. Now, I've been in church a long time, and I've had lots of discussions about spiritual gifts. I've even I've, I've, I've passed out the surveys, done the, the survey questionnaires, and filled in the circles, and then tied them all up. And we, had to, we did membership classes where hundreds of people did them at the same time. And I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that we've, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we've not always done the best service for people. I've had lots of conversations with people who, who have just frankly said, I don't know what my gift is. I have no idea what my gift is. I've done the, the questionnaire 15 times, and I've gotten 12 different gifts. I have no idea what it is. So maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you, you've been a person who's struggled with, I, I really don't know what gifting God has given me. I, I think there's value in those surveys. They can, they can point, but I don't think they're, they're, the, they're the catch-all. If, if you want to know what your gift is, talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Talk to your small group. Small groups are great ways for this to be flushed out. But talk to people who know you and love you. And, and chances are they're seeing this gift already in you. You're probably already doing these things. It's the things that you're, you're naturally wired to do. It's the things that you, you maybe you, you love to do. You're going to receive joy in doing it. So talk, to your, talk to people who know you. And chances are there's a good chance that they can really help you try to find out what that is. None of the gifts that we talk about in the, in the scriptures are uh, exhaustive. We don't say that, that okay, you've you got to have one of these, you've got to have one of these, or, or it doesn't exist. You know, so we really want you, if you're still searching for that, if you're still trying to figure out what your gift is, uh, pull someone aside. Let's, let's have those conversations. Don't rely on just uh, a pen and paper where you tally up your, your question and answer. First time I did one, I got exhortation. That couldn't have been any more wrong. It's just not me. So, uh, you know, don't, don't value everything on, on what a piece of paper says. Talk to people. Let's have those discussions. So I, I, so I want people to know what their gift is. I want people to know what God has given them. It is a grace that God has gifted you with a gift. And it's meant to be used. Too many times in the church, we've made the mistake of, of placing some gifts as a higher value than other gifts. And Paul wants us to see that that's wrong. Paul wants us to see that, that, that as we look at the body, each member has their individual function. And each, the function there is, is, is a glorious thing. It's a good thing. People receive joy in doing the gifts that God's given them to do. And so we don't say that this gift is, is more important than this gift all gifts are needed in the body of Christ. All gifts should be expressed and should be valued. 
It is a joy to express the gifts that God has given us to build up the unity of the church. If we want there to be unity in the church, then we have to be expressing our gifts. Because if, if our gifts aren't being expressed, or if we're, if we're trying to do gifts that aren't ours, then the body is going to be out, out of whack. So, so know your gift, know what it is, and exercise that gift. Use the faith that God has given you and exercise that gift, and, and you'll receive joy in that. We've already mentioned that there's only one body because there's only one Christ. Our unity and diversity, is, it's not grounded in, in our church services. It's not, it's not founded upon any creed. Our unity is grounded in the fact that we belong to Christ. The reason why we can have church services or we can have gatherings where people come in from all walks of life, people who, who in just a normal culture would, would, would not know each other, would not be friends with each other, but we can come in and have unity, it's because we're all centered on Christ. We're all focused on what Christ has done in our lives. But we're also belonging to each other. We belong to Christ, but we also belong to each other. We have a responsibility to use our gift. God is not glorified when our, when our gifts are not being expressed. If, if we take our gifts and just kind of file them away in our back pocket, God is not going to be glorified in that. God is glorified when we use our gifts and it, our gifts point to Him. So we need to be careful about how we're, how we're using our gifts. And not only is God not glorified, if we're not using our gifts, then, then the body is not being edified. Our, our believers are not, are not being edified because the, those gifts were meant to be used to serve each other, to bless each other, to love on each other. So we have to ask the question is, how are you exercising your gift? If you know what your gift is, if you've, you've been to that process and you, you know you're there, you, you see the things that God has done in you, you see the things that, that God has worked in your heart, how are you exercising your gift? It doesn't have to be through a church program. There doesn't need to be some church program established for you just to use your gift. It can be at home, in your jobs, with your coworkers, in your hobbies, the grocery store. Any place that you go is a chance for you to exercise your gift with someone. Using our gifts is one of the ways that we love each other within the church. We serve each other. We learn from each other. We encourage and help each other. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if you were a, a part of a group of believers and no one used their gift? Can you imagine what that would be like? I don't think that's a church I'd want to go to. It's not a place I'd want to be if, if, if teachers didn't teach, encouragers didn't encourage. When people were hurting and suffering, no one was there to show acts of mercy. That's, that's not a picture of the church. It's not a picture of what the church looks like. The church looks like the opposite of that. It, all those things are being done. And that's a place that I want to be. It's a place that I want to worship. It's a place where I want to, to be. And so we, we want to be that. We want to be a church that is using our gifts for the glory of Christ and for the edification of our, belief, our, our brothers and our sisters. I just know personally I've been, I've been blessed so much by other, other brothers and sisters who have come alongside me at certain moments in my life. And if it wasn't for them blessing me, things, things could have took a lot longer. Sanctification processes happened quicker and easier 
God worked through other people to change my heart, to change my life. So I know it's been a blessing to me, and I think that all of us could, could spend the rest of the time just, just sharing stories upon stories of how God has used other people to bless us. It's an amazing thing. So we move on to verse 6. We see, so, so God has, has given us gifts, and they differ from person to person, right? They're not the same. If we walked in here and, and every, every person in here had the gift of serving, it'd probably look kind of funny. I mean, it'd probably like a spotless church, things would be getting done, but there'd be no teaching, there'd be no acts of mercy. We've got to have all of the gifts and, and, a, and a collection of those coming together to make up the body. So when we look at these these things, we see that Paul just tells us. Paul says there in verse 6, we've got to use them. We've got to use the gifts. And so he, he begins to kind of go into a section where he, he talks about the gifts. And he talks about the fact that we have to use these gifts. But we have to remember where we started. We have to remember, we have to go back to the beginning of this section. We, we don't just use our gifts. We use them with humility. We have to first remember who we are. Remember where our gifts came from. Remember why we have our gifts. Why are we supposed to use our gifts? And understanding that, with humility, we will proceed in using the gifts that God's given to us. Now, as Paul gets to this list of the gifts here in verse 6, it seems to be the point is he gives specific gifts. There are specific gifts mentioned but the underlying point seems to be, the main idea here seems to be of how to use these gifts. Many of the gifts that are mentioned here are, are not, just, not just said, here is your list of gifts. It's here's the gift, and then sometimes he, he, he qualifies it, or he limits the gift. Kind of gives a more narrow view of, okay, if you have this gift, this is how you should be using the gift. So we, we want to see that, we want to, to go from there. So he starts off with prophecy. In proportion to our faith, is how he says for prophecy. Prophecy is speaking, speaking the will of God. Now there's lots of, lots of things we could say here. There's lots of places we could go with different Bible scholars and commentators. and We could have probably spent the whole sermon on, on just this one of you if we wanted to. But the point here is, is that Paul is listing the gift of prophecy as a gift to the church. But he's also kind of He's also qualifying it. He's also saying that if you have the gift of prophecy, if the gift of prophecy is within you, it, you, just, you don't just use it all the time. You don't just use it however you want. It's in proportion to our faith. Now, I'll, I'll, I, I agree that in the Greek, if you look at the, our faith, the, the Greek article is on the faith, so it's actually the faith. And so I believe this falls into that if you're using it in proportion to the faith, that anything you say in prophecy has to line up with scriptures. Anything you say with prophecy has to line up to the revealed word of God. And so what Paul is saying here is what he's also saying is that if you have the gift, there's a temptation to misuse it. If you have any gift, there's always a temptation to misuse this gift. And in prophecy, there's so many warnings in scripture about false teachers, false prophets. So if you're going to speak the will of God, if you're going to speak on behalf of God, you, know when, you, need, you need to know 
when the words are yours and when they're, when they're God's. You need to not say something on behalf of God when they're really just you. Don't say, God says this just because you want to get your opinion across. You want to get your point across. So the warning here to someone who's using the gift of prophecy is to use it the right way, to, to limit it to just according to the faith. The point here is that if you use the gift properly, if you use prophecy in the right way, it'll only glorify God. It won't glorify the person who is, who is proclaiming to speak on the behalf of God. The only person who's going to be glorified, who's going to be lifted up, who's going to be praised is God. And that's, how, that's what Paul wants, is he wants the, the use of the gift to be done in the right way. Now these next three gifts are, are done in, in kind, of a, uh, kind of a special manner. Because we just saw in prophecy how he kind of framed it, kind of put it in its own box of how you should use this. He doesn't do that with his next three. He moves on to serving, and you can see serving is different. It says service in our serving. If you have the gift of service, use it. Serve. Serve the body of Christ. Serve your neighbor. Serve your brother and your sister. Serve. He doesn't, he doesn't put it in a box and say, well, if you're going to serve, um, you can serve too much, so we don't want to make other people feel bad. Just serve. From the bottom of your heart, serve other people. Do things for other people. Serve others. Do things for others. He doesn't put anything where he needs to qualify it. He doesn't, he doesn't need to bring it in. If you're serving with the right heart, if you're serving in humbleness, which, is all, which all of these are framed in, then just serve. Do do the things God has called you to do. Teaching. And in this aspect, he doesn't qualify teaching. So he says, if you have the gift to teach, teach. Now we want to be, be Bible people. We want to look at all of scriptures. And there are so many other passages in James and Titus and Timothy that, that to do talk about teaching and, and do kind of give us more information about teaching and so we see that if we look at teaching throughout all of scriptures, we see that, that God has placed a call on individuals to teach in a certain way. We see this throughout other scriptures. And so in, in the, when we talk about teaching, we say if you have the gift of teaching, teach. You should be teaching if you have the gift of teaching but in accordance to where God has called you. So if God has called you to be a preacher or a pastor, teach. Teach in that way. If God has called you to have a home group, teach in that way. If God has called you to be a parent, teach in that way. All parents are called to teach at home. And there are so many ministries and areas of the church where we're called to teach in that way. But if you're in your calling, if you're where God has called you to be and you have the gift of teaching, Paul here is saying, then teach. Don't, don't limit it. Don't qualify it. If you're in your calling then you should be teaching. This is for uh, all throughout what Paul is telling us. If, if you've been gifted with that area, then you should teach. As he gets to exhort, it's the same thing. In your exhortation, this is the, the third and final one where he doesn't really, doesn't really put it into an extra box, a smaller box. He doesn't qualify anymore. If you have the gift of encouragement, if you see in your life where you, God has gifted you with the ability to speak life, to speak encouragement in others, you should be using that. You should be, you should be speaking encouragement to when people need it. When you come alongside individuals and, and you, you see that sometimes you probably feel that God is, 
God's calling you to go over and say something to those, those people. Go. Go do the things that God's called you to do. Go speak the things into people's lives that he's calling you to speak. Be that person, exhort in exhortation. Now the next, the next few gifts as we keep moving on, we see that he starts kind of putting them in, in another box. Again, he starts kind of qualifying them, make sure that we're looking at them in the right way. Because in, in most gifts, there's, there's an ability to misuse that gift. There's a, an ability to use it in the wrong way. So when he gets to contributes, he says to do it in generosity. So what does he mean by that? And Paul knows that if, if you have the gift of giving and, and you contribute to others, that at times in your life there may be attitudes that spring up in your heart that aren't healthy. There may be attitudes that spring up that are not glorifying to God. So Paul wants us to know that if you're going to give, give in generosity. Because that's the only way that that gift is going to be glorifying to God. Be a sincere giver. A cheerful giver, not begrudgingly. Not the person who, you know, puts the money in the offering plate and just kind of holds on. Like, I don't know. Not begrudgingly. And also not needing acknowledgement from others. Our acknowledgement, our blessing, all comes from above. It It doesn't come from from a need of having other people to see us give or, or having a, another person uh, need to know how much we gave. If we give generously and we have this gift and it's used correctly, it will glorify God. People will be blessed by it, but it will glorify God. When it gets to leading, it says lead with zeal. When I first read this, my first instinct was kind of kind of confused. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was kind of confused because... When I think of a zealous, oops, can't do that. When I think of a zealous leader, I think of someone who's kind of take charge and kind of runs with an iron fist. And, and I don't see that person as being a, a good leader all the time. I see as someone who, you know, kind of would, would crush someone to get their way or, you know, is kind of demanding. But the, the task of being a leader is not always an easy task. And we should, if you have this calling on your life, if you have this gifting, I should say, on your life, then you should want to take up that challenge. You should be zealous in taking up that challenge. Be eager to take up the challenge and and the uh, responsibility that comes along with being a leader. But what we find so often is that if you're a leader, you often find yourselves in situations where there's there's no one above you, right? If you're a leader, you don't have, a lot of times you don't have a boss above you. So the temptation that comes with this gift is that there's a temptation to, to be lazy. There's a temptation that, that no one can tell you what to do, so you can just do, you can lead however you want. So be zealous in your leadership. Take, take pride in your leadership and, and fight any temptation there is to give in to laziness when you're, when you're a leader. A lazy leader does not glorify God, but a zealous leader who is leading with, with humbleness glorifies God. The final, final gifts mentioned here is does acts of mercy and to do them with cheerfulness. Showing, showing mercy to those that are hurting is a special gift. When someone is hurting or suffering, is down, someone who, who comes alongside them and, and shows them acts of mercy is, is a special uh, gift. But I've talked to people who have done Know, bedside care and, and care where just it's a lot of, of negativity, 
a lot of hurt and sadness. And, and I've heard that the temptation is, is that when you're around sadness all the time, when you're around suffering all the time, is it just weighs on your heart. It weighs and it, and it starts to bring you down too. And that someone with the, with the gift of active mercy could have a temptation to, to start to approach it with a kind of a glum attitude, to start to have their own sadness, their own, their own uh, sort of bad attitude as they come in because it just, it's weighed on their hearts. And so, so Paul's just kind of a, a reminder and encouragement to, to, to stay cheerful, to keep the joy. This is a reminder for that. If you have the gift of giving joy to others, then to keep that joy in your own life. Be cheerful. Be the good spirit and humbly use your gift in faith. So we, if we brought this all together, we see how Paul's approached this. He's, he's walked us through how we, how we view ourselves. How do we view ourselves in light of the gospel? To rightly evaluate what God has done in our lives. Rightly evaluate what he's given us. The grace that he's given us. And then to, to see the gifts that he's given us and to use them. To use them. And we should delight in the fact that as we use our gifts, God is being glorified. The body is unified. And other believers are edified. You know, as I think about Christian unity, as people see what goes on inside of a church, as people see a, a local gathering like this one, this should confuse the outside world. There is nothing normal about this. There's nothing normal about, about really strangers coming together, being unified. Does it matter about walks of life? Social, economical things are gone. Racial things don't matter. Past experiences don't matter. We're all united upon the body of Christ. We're all united upon the fact that, that we know we were sinners. That we know that we were sinners and Jesus had died for our sins. So Christian unity should be appealing to the outside world. As we join and gather here, as we come and, and become a church and, and gather in unity, Christians or non-Christians who see us, people who look in from the outside, they should see this and say, oh, I want that. I want to know more about that. I don't know why that's happening. I'm a little confused and maybe a little weirded out, but I want to know more. I want to know why they can sit there and they can gather and they can love each other. Why is that person, why is that person who is suffering, who is hurting, why are, why are all these people loving on them? Why are all these people coming and serving them? When I saw that person over there who had a need, there's a, their gutter was falling off their house. How come, how come 10 men showed up and put that gutter back up? It probably shouldn't take 10 men to put up a gutter. <laughs> it would at my house. 10 other guys, come on over. You know, why, why are they wanting to learn more about that book? What's so special about that book that they, they listen to someone teach about it? Why do they give? How do, they have, how do they give money? How do they have money to give to, to families that are hurting? How do they, why would they do that? Why do they care so much about life and they, and they fight for the unborn? Why do they do these things and they do them together? It's strange to the outside world. And so it, but it's appealing. And so we want to we be able to say that we're unified. We want to joyfully say, yeah, but we're the same. 
we know we're the same. We, yeah, we have different, there's differences and we could point those out all day long, but we're the same. We are all sinners. We are all sinners that were headed for hell. We deserve death. But Jesus stepped in. Jesus paid that death for me. And we receive forgiveness because of what Jesus did for us. And we're just excited about it. We love what Jesus did for us. We love what God did for us. And so we want to meet and we want to talk about that. We want to learn more about that. And we want to glorify him all day. So Christians, as we, there's just a few questions that have been brought out today. And the first one was, are you thinking more of yourself than you should? It's not a fun question to, to ask yourself. But have you, have you placed your gifts and, said, and, and thought that, that you you done them, that you, you have in some way given yourself the abilities and the talents and the gifts that you have and you're now thinking too highly of yourself? Do you feel like you've arrived as a, as a Christian and you, you have all this spiritual knowledge and so it's caused your head to be raised a little higher? And are we thinking too highly of ourselves? Are we, have we seen any, of, any aspect of our life where we have given ourselves the credit where the credit really should have went to God. And how are you using your gifts? The body needs your gifts. The body needs you to express your gifts. This body works together when we use our gifts. And God is glorified when we use our gifts. And I want to circle back to Something I mentioned early on, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're in here this morning and, and you, you're hearing about this, this body and you're hearing about this unity, you're hearing about gifts and, and, and you're not sure what to do with that. You, 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 know that you know that you don't, you're not in that category yet. You, you are not a part of the body of Christ, not a part of the church. You've, you've never placed your faith in Jesus you never repented of your sins, then I, I want to invite you to do that today. And I want to invite you, as, as Paul has said, and Paul said in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the invitation I have uh, for you today. And I'd like for you just to think about that. Think about that as, as we pray.